Welcome into a new episode of Get Fiddles and Pay Fiddles. My name is Chris. My name is John. What's up, everybody? What's up? What's up? John, we're on episode 41. 41. How about that? How about we are, that? we are, golly, that's crazy, man. We thought 40 was, was a big number. 41. It's, that's Just, my age, bro. That's your age? What? That's my age. I'm 41 this year. Boom. Wow. Wow, the circle is old. complete. <laughs> and this will be the last episode. And and we're dead after <laughs> dead. this. Yeah, 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 man. 41, big big 4-1. We're back on uh we're back on the got this train back on the track, Chris. Yeah, man. It's rolling along, staying on yeah. schedule, just like we yeah. promised. Yeah. Um appreciate all the listeners out there. We got some really great feedback from episode 40. Um a lot oh, of cool, yeah. a lot of cool response from that one. Uh, oh, yeah. which, which, uh, of course we're going to dig further into, but we're, John, we're in a series that we're, we've, we've called recording techniques and mm, we kind of dipped our toe in the pond techniques. last episode with part it's, one. If you guys haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to, uh, recording techniques, part one, that's episode 40. Today we'll be going a little further in part two. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit, but, um, John, tell me how your how your last couple of weeks were since we since we did this. Yeah, man, uh, everything's good. You know, just uh, day jobs going well. Uh, um, uh, not playing out because there is no more playing out. It pretty much isn't. <laughs> so, no. um, church gigs going good though. Uh, praise God for that. That we're able to at least you know go back to uh, you know uh, church and do that thing there. But uh, it's been going good, man. I'm actually working on. Slowly but surely, you know, chipping away at my little instrumental record. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get done. Um, now that I've got my my little your studio, uh, my yeah. little, my home studio. Some going. of you guys don't know, John's been building a, a studio uh, a little bit along the way. As yeah. you know, I guess everybody's kind of doing that now. It feels like everyone right. I talk to, they're 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 they've shifted gears and they're they're teaching more. They're doing studio mm-hmm. stuff. They're kind of mm-hmm. turning inward and saying, you know what, I've got some some music I'd like to record. And some of this stuff gets shelved because there's right. gigs and there's church and there's other day to day stuff. So we've got time now, and it's really yeah. exciting because John is is starting to to work on his stuff yeah man and i think that you know we kind of touched upon it when we came back you know uh, from our little hiatus about you better better be forward thinking man (laughs) you know you better start really planning uh ahead for this new normal world that we're we're going to be in for the foreseeable future right um you know uh so that's what i'm doing um you know, so my free time um, is going to getting getting the 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 music going, um, and uh, getting my studio up and up and where it needs to be, and um, that's 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 kind of what I've been doing um, yeah, the last couple of weeks. What about yourself? Well, you know, to your to your point there, I think at at, at the core, um, it, you know, we're we're creative individuals. You know, we have of to. We have to create, you know, it's just a big mm-hmm. part of who we are and not being able to get on stage is, is definitely meant shifting. Like you said, shifting focus to something else. Yeah. So, um, I just wanted to say, like, I totally, totally agree. You know, that a lot of people are doing this and it, and it, I feel like it, it's a, it's a great bridge to something that you've either been thinking about for a long time, like your own personal music or any other mm-hmm. things that you're trying to get into. Uh, John and I both would encourage you just to kind of, you know, any of those projects you've been putting off, like make it happen, you know, just figure out, figure out how to make it happen. There's figure so out many how great, to make it happen. Yeah, there's so many I mean, great resources online, whether it be software, yeah. hardware, you know, there's Facebook marketplace, there's reverb.com. You can find gear, like just 
try to make it happen because it's it's huge to be able to still have that creative outlet you know yeah and, and you know i mean like we like we said um you know it this stuff does cost some money so you have to make an investment but it's really not in the grand scheme of things it, it's it really don't take a lot of money i yeah, mean it doesn't not you, especially you to get start, started just to get it started right mm-hmm. right and and you can make some good quality stuff with the stuff that you can acquire while you're just getting started quote mm-hmm. unquote right mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, man, we're, 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 uh, I think you and I kind of had that epiphany together and that's what we're, we're kind of focusing on going forward. Yeah. You know, yeah. Not, so, not to speak for you, but I, I kind of feel like that's kind of, you know, we're making it happen, Chris. Yeah. We right. Are. Um, we're making it happen. Yeah. So to your, um, to your, to your question, you know, what, I, what have I been doing? It's kind of been piggybacking, you know, John and I've been piggybacking back and forth on, you know, ways to, uh, to start recording. So I actually got mm-hmm. into, um, something I should have done a while ago. I've actually placed my, my interest in other things, whether it be, you know, software, i.e. Ableton or, yeah. uh, things like that. And if, if any of you know, Ableton's not cheap and, con- no, you know, MIDI not. controllers, uh, yep. USB interfaces, studio speakers, monitor, computer, like you get all these things and kind of build the infrastructure around that. I've wanted microphones to record, record the acoustic drums here. And this room that I'm in has been, you know, partly treated to do that. So. Yeah. And it's, it looks great too. So we've hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll be putting up some videos of our podcast so you can actually see uh, how awesome Chris's little um, (laughs) studio space is. Yeah. Um, And and it's, you know, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. it, It does. It's, it doesn't take a whole lot Mm-mm. to make something sound good Mm-mm. is, is, is kind of the, you know, the, the main thing, yeah. you know, you yeah. just gotta, you gotta have kind of, you know, a, a loose business plan and just start slowly, yeah. but surely. As long as you got the a clear vision as to what you want to do, like, you know, what's your end game, then you can kind of start building backwards from there. But, mm-hmm. you know, John started the start of the year was kind of the kick in the butt. I kind of needed to, to say like, you know, buy some more microphones, invest in a nicer, um, USB interface with mm-hmm. you know, more inputs, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, John and I both have been falling down the recording rabbit hole, him, him much more than me. I mean, oh, I've, God. I've stayed in like the digital, bad. the digital kind of recording thing with Ableton, mm-hmm. you know, all the, the electronic kind of music. I haven't done the actual live audio stuff, which is a completely different world. And I am is, so man. impressed by people that are, that know that stuff. Well, like mm-hmm. John and I were talking about this just a few mm-hmm. days ago. So, um, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna start recording some music, John. Yep, it's, gonna it's be coming. Good. It's gonna be good it's coming, stuff, guys. Yep. Um, there is one piece of uh, of news that we we wanted to talk about, which got our attention, and John yes, was the sir-ree. first one to kind of bring it up. Um, Apple. Uh, let's see, this came out uh, January fifteenth, so just a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. Uh, Apple is talking about, or maybe the word to to use is considering. A podcast subscription plan. So, uh, if you guys are, are Apple users, iPhone users, iPad, and so forth, <clears throat> um, Apple released a subscription-based service not too long ago called Apple One, which basically unified all of these services, whether it be Apple News, Fitness, uh, Apple Music, family plans that are oriented yeah. to all of these things. And it's great yes. because if you do use all of these things, then you're able to... Oh, it's you know, we've, I've signed up for it. Uh, you know, just the family music plan alone is 15 bucks. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. So, you know, um, so yeah, it, it, it's awesome. If you're in the Apple ecosystem, 
you know, get the basic plan, um, you'll, you'll save a lot of money and you get access to all the ecosystem stuff that Apple offers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, when John sent me this article, he sent this very article to me that, that says, you know, Apple's considering a, a podcast subscription plan. It, at first it was like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, you know, they could mm-hmm. instantly piggyback this on their, their Apple one service. Cool. They could just add it in. And right. it, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised is if they add this to it. And they don't, of course, change the price. I mean, that's you know, yeah. totally how Apple works. Like they'll right. add things to it, but keep the price the same, so mm-hmm. you feel like you're getting more more value, mm-hmm. which is one. You know, it's awesome. The, the marketing mm-hmm. behind that's genius. Yeah. Um, but for podcast creators, content creators like John and I, and so many many other people that are creating podcasts, we have to kind of back up. And consider how this is going to affect the little guy, you know, like the, there's so many podcasts out there, like everybody's got a podcast, everybody's got, you know, the ability to to start a podcast and put it out there. And there's some really great content. Um, and so what John and I considered was that uh, if you guys don't know, one of the first exclusivity deals that was signed for podcasting was the Joe Rogan show. Mm-hmm. And that was done with Spotify, you know, mm-hmm. signing, he signed a giant contract contract. So the only place you can listen to Joe Rogan now, which is a huge podcast show, uh, is on Spotify. You can't even listen to it on, uh, on Apple's, uh, podcast service anymore or platform. Nope. It's not there. So what John and I started considering was if Apple is, is thinking about doing this, you know, for me as a user, for John as a user and for the listeners of this podcast as a, as a user to say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm interested in paying for this subscription that Apple's going to, to, to offer me. Right. Then that means that Apple's going to have to buy shows just like Spotify did to make them exclusive. Otherwise, why would I care about paying for it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, listen, the Pandora's box was opened when Joe Rogan went to Spotify. Yep. I mean, that, like, that definitely started the gears turning. It, it, it literally was a dam being burst open at the seams. Yeah. Um, it, it, listen, I mean, long form radio, I guess this long form conversation. Yeah. You know, this is the new, to me going forward, like this is going to be the new FM radio. Right. You know, people can stream their music on their phone. You know, they can download their, their music, put together a playlist, right? Mm-hmm. Commercial free. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen to their music. Like terrestrial radio, what what terrestrial radio is for people who's never who have never heard that term is just your mainstream radio stations, right? Right. Like that stuff is to me in, in twenty years, like I that 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 whole format it's going to be done like everything's moving to streaming base so at any rate i digress um people want to they'd much rather hear long form conversation mm-hmm. you know in whatever subject they're interested in right you know like you've got all these you know uh, serial killer you know, people that yeah. listen to all these serial killer podcasts. You got, you know, us, you know, doing our thing. You got Joe Rogan doing his thing. There's different uh, subjects and topics and, and areas of expertise that you can find a podcast for. So, right. of course, of course, it makes sense for, you know, the big companies to come in and, and, and sign these licensing deals. Mm-hmm. 
which, you know, which is basically in a nutshell what Spotify did with Joe Rogan. It's just, just we're going to pay you so we can put your podcast exclusively on our streaming site. Right. And that's exactly what Apple's going to start doing. They're going to get into a dingling measuring contest, Chris, for lack <laughs> of a better, better term. Yeah. And, you know, because that's what Apple does, man. You know, they're, they're, they want to create an ecosystem, right? Um, similar, similar to what Amazon is trying to do because they're trying to get into the podcast business too. They just, you know, they went and bought out, um, what is it, Wandery? Is that how you say that? I think so. Um, you know, uh, $300 million. Yeah. So, well, it, so to your, to your point about it being the next FM, FM type thing, you know, I mean, what's happened with, technology and things like Sirius XM. Um, we are a genre based culture now. I feel like whether yes. we know it or not, we are. And yeah. so if you want to find, like you said, certain shows in podcast form, yeah. then you can, you can seek out exactly what you want and then listen to exactly what you want to like this whole, you know, media on demand content on demand. FM radio offers you what they want to control. Right. Yep. What has been paid to fit in those those places. So and Chris, not to cut you off, but no, we have experience on this t- terrestrial radio stuff. I don't know if you remember, hmm. but I remember when we were on the road doing our radio tour, we would go into these terrestrial radio stations and Chris, they would have their playlist ready out months yeah. at a time. Yeah. Every seven days a week. Every minute of their programming hour was scheduled with music that was already predetermined what was going to be on that station. Right. Right. Sorry right. to cut you off. But no, I just no, wanted no. to put that in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, see, this stuff's already like pre-scheduled and it's and it's all paid for. The ads yep. are paid for where songs will sit are paid for. All these things have money behind them. So if, as John says, this is be- going to become the new FM, then obviously there's going to be money that gets funneled in because we're a genre based on demand type of culture. Now Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to find a music podcast that features drums and guitar. Well, there's a podcast for that. It's called get fiddles and paradiddles. Um, That's right. And you can, you can click on it and listen to it exactly what you You don't have to listen to all the, the garbled stuff out there. And I think that honestly, I know I have, I've taken for granted that I could just do that for free for years. You know, I could do this yeah, for free. I could just totally. open the Apple podcast app, search for what I wanted to download it. It's all free. So yep. I think we've all taken, taken that for granted. And, and, you know, it, apparently it's, it's potentially going to change and it's, it's going to affect people that have giant podcasts. It's going to affect them in a great way. Yeah. People that have small podcasts. My worry is that it's going to squash the small guy and you're going to have to, well, that's exactly what it's going to do. Yeah, Chris, that's exactly what it's going to do with Apple because Apple uh, and I don't want to get into a conspiracy theory, but I think there is a lot of information that, that supports this, is that they always try to raise the, the podcasts that have the biggest downloads and have the biggest followers day-to-day, week-to-week, are going to get pushed up their their ranking system, if yes. you will. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, to get on right. their like, new and notable – I'm using air quotes here, yes. everyone – the new and notable yep. like thing, like you have to mm-hmm. bust your proverbial ass to get featured there. Um, and, and, you know, so let's just say now you can pay, let's just, let's just, you know, postulate this. John and I run a podcast. We want to be featured on the new and notable. Dang right. We do. How much do you want to bet? We can pay now because it's a subscription service. 
I can, you and I can pony up some money and they'll say, Hey, we'll feature you, your podcast for this one day for these 24 hours for a hundred bucks. We'll feature you $100, you know, and it's probably going to be like for, for the little, little guys like, okay, take my money, take my money. This is what we're going to have to do. Exactly. Compete. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've made beats for years and in order for me to, to rise above all the, the other little fish swimming around, I have to mm -hmm. use paid ads for people to, to hear my beats for people to go to my website. And real quick, Chris, tell them where you can go to find your beats. Uh, well, I mean, you could, um, you could find them at, you probably could just go to my, my website. It's called Beats by Zord, Z-O-R-D. It's an old nickname of mine, BeatsbyZord.net. If you guys want to check out Beats, you can. I wasn't uh, wasn't expecting that, John. Thank you. Got you, bro. Um, yeah, yeah, stick yeah. together, man. But, no, <laughs> but, but, but to, to circle back around to what we're, we're kind of the, I guess, the, the, the end game for this is that it's coming. It's coming, for sure. It's coming. I mean, the, 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 the amount of the profitability in podcasts – you know, is, you know, and I'm kind of maybe forecasting a little bit, but I think you're going to start to see possibly like record companies want to get into podcasting. Sure. Yeah. They want to distribute your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That right? would be that. I mean, you, if everyone else is trying to compete with basically the two big dogs, which is Apple and Spotify, you can see Amazon doing it. You can see Sirius mm -hmm. XM, iHeartRadio, everywhere you turn, there's a new like podcast platform now. Yep. yep. So, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we can go on. I mean, God, we could probably do a whole episode about this, Chris. Um, about well, we probably the, uh, will once it happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, yeah. I mean, you're probably right because this is going to affect us. Oh, yes. You know, for, for the good or for the bad. You know, I mean, I guess we'll, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But, you know, we, we are definitely small fish in a big pond. Yes. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're slowly and steadily trying to, get get up there with with the bigger guys but it's just gonna it, it takes time but also you know with this um you know it's like the old saying chris takes money to make money that's right it does. you know it does so i mean there is the, the time investment part of it is there and you know from the beginning john and i've said that we want to do this for fun but yeah. the, there's a there's to me there's a there's somewhere in there where doing it for fun if you're going to get pushed down and kind of held down by a corporate mm -hmm. thumb, whether mm -hmm. it be Apple or not, the man's know, sticking as, it to you. Yeah. Always. As, as much as I love Apple, of course they're a business and they're in the business of making money. Yeah. Um, you know, being held down by that corporate thumb is, uh, it, 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 depending on your mindset, it can change whether it's fun anymore. For sure. I mean, you know, it's, it's just kind of, you know, goes part and parcel, man. It's like, you can't, it, there, it, there's a balance. There's a delicate balance between, um, you know, your art and your craft, yes, right? And, for and, sure. and, and it same thing follows with the podcasting world. But I just thought that when I saw this, you know, I was having my morning coffee and I kind of, you know, try to get caught up with the news of the day, if you right, will. And right. this thing was one of the first things that popped up, and I was like, oh. Of course. Of course. Yeah, why not? Of course Apple's going to do this. What's surprising is that Spotify was really the first ones. I mean, why why was Apple not the first ones? You know, maybe because their their platform is the one that started podcast and put them into, you know, into motion as it as it were. Well, here's here's what I think happened. I, like I said, the Joe Rogan thing was that was the Pandora's box. Yeah. Uh, according, I, I love Joe Rogan's podcast. I listen to it all the time. And I think he kind of mentioned this a little bit right before, or excuse me, just 
recently after he got the Spotify deal that Apple came, they approached him. Mm -hmm. They wanted to do the same thing, but they wanted, they wanted to turn it into a TV show where, you know, the executives were going to have to get involved and like, he didn't know. It's like, yeah, Apple's got a lot of interest in their, in their, their like Apple TV thing, like the whole Mm -hmm. like original content thing. So I could see that like their first idea was to make it a TV show. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, I, I, thankfully he didn't go that way because I think yeah. it would have stripped at, at the core of what makes yeah. that that show really great. Yeah, so that that's really kind of what set the the wheels in motion, and you know, the deal with Spotify is just licensing. We just want to put your podcast on our streaming platform, and mm-hmm. here's a three hundred million dollar check. <laughs> that's that's a that's a no brainer. You know, or a hundred million, whatever you got. Oh, it so was, it was I a think lot. that yeah, I think that that kind of has uh, set the set the groundwork for what's to come on on podcasting because there's lots of money to be made from advertisers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's the new way that you're going to make money in the media world. You know. Yep. Yep. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm uh, I'm I'm highly interested and ready. I think you know, like yes. like anyone that's doing something like John and I are, we're we're prepared to. Uh, adjust and adapt and, and kind of play the game. You know, you kind of have mm-hmm. to just get in it and play the game. Yep. So yep. we're, we're ready to keep this, uh, keep this little podcast going, even if oh, it yeah. means paid The man's success. not going to hold us down people. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, so let's, let's move into, right, let's, um, let's move. this is, this is, a, yeah, we could, this talk has about, been a tough one to, yeah, to, to weed out. Obviously here. you can tell we're, uh, we're, we're very passionate about this. Um, yes. so, Let's get into the heart of our episode here, which will be part two of Recording Techniques. If you guys will hang on just a bit, we'll be right back. All right, John, so part two of... Part deux. Deux of Recording Techniques... Uh, yes. Puts us in the 1970s. Uh, the last episode we did, we 70s, we uh, we talked about the 60s. Mm. John yep. John and I both presented individual albums to kind of support some of the recording techniques and and groundbreaking things that were happening in the 60s. But mm-hmm. we we did it with single albums. Uh, John and I talked about this going forward. I don't think that's going to be possible. Like we're not going to be able to pick uh, one album no way, from the man. 70s. Like there's just yeah. there's one so album much from the stuff. 80s, one album from the 90s. No way. There's no way. So, um, the first thing I thought we would do, and John and I collaborated a little bit, is kind of look at um, like music technology of the '70s mm-hmm. and how we know that that technology would affect not only the decade of the '70s, but of course decades going forward, '80s, '90s. You know, and some of these things probably would go away. But what's funny is that they're kind of coming back now. You know, they're considered '70s retro air quotes here um, to, to use things like Mellotron or. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, recording to tape and things like that. So, um, one thing I didn't know is in 1970, the year 1970, the 24 track recorder was made very common. Like for a while it had been 16 track recording, Mm -hmm. but 24 track machines arrived in the seventies and it would kind of be the industry standard for a while. I mean, well, into pretty much man. I mean, yeah, it's, it, you want to talk about like, like next to the sliced bread analogy, yeah, you know the the twenty four track recorder man was huge in the in the in the recording world, man. Yeah. Just 
game changing. Yeah, twenty four tracks. I mean, the 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 article that I, I read a little bit about the uh, the machine is is made by a company called MCI, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. their gear, the twenty four track stuff, and even further gear by them was used by ACDC, Queen, Led Zeppelin. I mean. Anyone that's like considered a giant in in that particular decade, yeah, they were using forward. they were recording twenty four tracks. Yeah, man. all of it was twenty four tracks. Even. So let's consider like the the part one in, in the sixties. We were talking about how the Beatles were were tracking everything on four tracks, yes. and then for them to get to Abbey Road, they finally got to eight tracks. And yep. so, like you fast forward just a couple years, and boom, twenty four tracks. Like they didn't they didn't mess around. Like they they of course sixteen tracks were probably happening right at the end of the of the sixties decade. As soon as the seventies hit, man, it was twenty four tracks, and that's crazy for it to to. That's just technology, like how quickly it'll it'll speed so, up. So, so we're talking a ten year span, Chris. Ten yeah. years. Think about this. Yeah, four to twenty four. Amazing. I mean, that's like a a thousand percent increase. Whatever the math is, Chris. Yeah. I'm a musician. Yeah. I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> um, I mean, that's substantial, right? And that is just going to keep extrapolating throughout the decades. Yeah. yeah. You know, like stuff is only just getting started really in the seventies. If you think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, beside the, uh, the ability to record 24 tracks, you know, I think some of the other things that were starting to be introduced were, you know, different instrumentation like synthesizers. Yes, synthesizers like, you know, the for fen- sure. Fender Rhodes piano, the Mellotron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- those type of instrumentations were starting to be widely used um, yeah. in in just about every major record that was coming out. Which is, you know, some of the records that we're going to mention are going to be just highlighting all of these different uh, instruments that uh, that I just mentioned. Yeah, so. yeah, the Mellotron for sure was. Um, if you guys listen to Strawberry Fields Forever, uh, yeah, that's from nineteen sixty seven. Yeah, that's a, that's Mellotron, and that was, you know, these these things we know would make a difference going forward in these decades too, like synthesizers, like um, any of the Moog synths, you know, the yep. Mini Moog and things like mm-hmm. that that were being kind of worked on and developed in the late sixties came mm-hmm. out in the seventies, and so those made you know. Kraftwerk, Herbie Hancock, like there was Parliament Funkadelic, Gary Newman, mm-hmm. Bob Marley, yeah. Michael Jackson. All these bands would would eventually like we have to consider like the music we're going to arrive at in the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. Looking back at the how massive the seventies were, like seventies. Could could you imagine as a musician trying to keep up? You know, like keep up with everything that was coming out. Yeah, and you and and you probably thought as a musician like you were living in the golden age of gear, you yeah. know, at that point. Now, I, you know, I've I've said that for guitar players, like for me, like right now, this is like the golden age for guitar players. Um, it, there's just the 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 amount of technology that's at your fingertips, and it, it co- the cost is relatively inexpensive. It's just mind, it's mind boggling. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you got to think like. You know, like your 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 weekend warriors aren't going to be able to afford a, a you know a, an Arp Odyssey synthesizer because they would probably cost like two grand back then. Yeah. So this is stuff that was like in they, the studio, and they weighed like fifty pounds, and they weighed just yeah. I mean, like a a, 
like the the Rhodes piano with the speaker that came with it. I mean, mm. dude, that's like that's probably a hundred pounds, man. It's insane that you're having a tote around. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. My so, dad, my dad moved bands. Like he was he was in the seventies, like one of the the roadies for a band, and mm-hmm. he would tell me stories of the live sound oh, rig that they would carry. But God. they also had a B three that they toured. Oh, 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 yeah. And Those they moved that thing on and off stage every night. Yeah, every mm-hmm. single night, a B three mm-hmm. organ. Um. I found this one interesting that large scale live sound came about yeah. in the seventies. And this, this is a, this is a funny little, little factoid here. It says in 1965, mm-hmm. when the Beatles performed at New York's Shea stadium, their music went through the same public address system used by the ballpark announcer. That's crazy. I mean, imagine the Beatles trying to put out all this sound and it's coming through a public address system. Yeah. So it wasn't until yeah. um, this goes on to say that it was the Grateful Dead show, February 2nd of 1970 at the Fox Theater in St. Louis, Missouri. It was credited with the, the birthing of large scale live sound systems. So like they're, they're talking about the Beatles 1965. It would take five more years before mm-hmm. like what we what we consider like going to a state, you know, some kind of stadium or even a live show and right. hearing this massive sound. It didn't happen until the 70s. Yeah. And, and, oh, what a sound it was. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what, what's the saying that, that innovation comes out of necessity? Yeah, yeah. Right? So you've got all this, you know, rock bands and just all this music that, you know, going to do live shows and playing at big arenas and stuff like that. Like, you, you had to sound good. You know, it had to be the the fidelity had to come across in all these big outdoor arenas festival type stuff so yeah you know the 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 ability to have large scale public address systems another groundbreaking uh, technological advancements going on there for sure because you got to be able to all this stuff that was going on on the record and you know, in the studio, you've got to be able to translate that to a live venue, Chris. So mm-hmm. I think the, the, the PA large scale PA is definitely, um, needs to be highlighted during the seventies. Yeah. The other, the other one that, sure. that stood out to me, which John and I briefly talked about before we started, um, recording here was, uh, was referred as like the dry as a bone sound, like oh, seventies, yeah. like everything yep. was super dry. Yep. So rather than capturing like full room sound, mm-hmm. um, all the, musicians were like sequestered in separate rooms mm-hmm. and basically eliminated leakage. You know, there yep. was, there was everybody there's started no bleed like through. Doing, yeah, there's no bleed through. Um, and so this dry sound was, you know, like think Eagle, Steely Dan, you know, even rock stuff from ACDC. Uh, oh yeah. Like the, the physical graffiti record from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. It's dry as a bone. If you listen to that record and, and hit play, let it play for like eight seconds and stop it. I mean, it is just like there's you, you hear no reverb. There's no delay. I mean, it's just bone yeah. dry. It's almost bone like dry. a, uh, what do they call that? A, um, a gate, like everything was gated. Yes. Like there was nothing yeah, like there. hard gated, dude, mm-hmm. like hard, hard gated. But yeah, that was the, I mean, that was the sound, man. Like, you know, everybody that's just, you know, that was what the producers were, were, that was just kind of the vibe, you know? Yeah. Um, 
you know, we were talking about, you know, no bottom heads. <laughs> I mean, look at all those old school Eagles, you know, live performances where Don Henley, there's like a 57, like two inches from the top head on, on the snare mm-hmm. or, or the toms. You know what I mean? There's no bottom heads in there. No, they didn't know? want like, like ringy drums. Everything was just squashed yep. and taped yep. and crazy. Yep. Um, one of the ones I came across that John can speak to way better than me was in the 70s. Uh, the modern Stratocaster came about. And yeah. so apparently the one from the sixties, uh, the one from the seventies, I should say was way different from than the one from the seventies. One of the biggest ones uh, was the fact that the uh, three position pickup selector switch was changed to a five position switch. And mm-hmm. apparently that five position switch carries over to today. So I'm sure you can. Yeah. They've never, this. yeah, they've never looked back, you know, that's this, you know, they kind of, um, you know, once they got, um, instruments into some of these big artist hands you know um they started to get some feedback right Mm -hmm. on what what could make the instrument better because you're talking about going from you know sonic palettes created like on the stratocaster you know with a three-way switch you know you're basically only able to tap into you know two pickups at a time, you know, mm-hmm. now, now with the five way, you can tap into all three either individually or in combination with each other. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a huge, you know, especially going into the eighties just to kind of, you know, forecast a little bit like that. The fourth position switch on the Stratocaster, which engages the middle pickup and mm-hmm. the neck pickup together is an iconic eighties sound. Yeah iconic 80s sound which is huge right now i mean all those like 80s like sounds like that are are massive right now yeah it's you know it's just got this thing to it so um the other thing that they did was the neck profile change you know you're getting into you know the beginning of the shredder guitar so people wanted low action Mm -hmm. you know slim comfortable neck profiles that you can just fly up and down the fretboard right you know, the, the, the thicker, wider fretboards were kind of going way to a little, little narrower ones just so you could, you know, fly up and down the fretboard. You know, you're starting to get, um, you know, i.e. Eddie Van Halen, uh, which is one of my, you know, record picks. Um, you started to introduce the humbucker into the Stratocaster, which right. is another huge kind of modification. And now Fender wasn't necessarily doing it. I don't think, um, they weren't putting it, um, in their, uh, stock guitars off the wall, you know, but once people saw it, cause that's, you know, that was Eddie's thing. He wanted to cross between the Les Paul and the Strat, right? He liked the best of those. He wanted the best of those two guitars. So, you know, one of the first things he did was pull out that single coil and put a humbucker in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives you a different tonal palette for the Stratocaster. So just, I guess just to summarize it, like modifying Stratocasters became a really noticeable thing that artists were doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it, 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 it really changed um, it, it, it not only changed, but it birthed a lot of different companies coming out of the seventies, you know, like all you're starting to get into like Kramer guitars, you know, that, that kind of stuff, you know, um, that, that modified Fender Stratocaster quote unquote, Mm -hmm. um, it really kind of 
you know, Fender kind of, you know, just doing little minor adjustments to their guitar kind of set off a, um, a huge uh, ripple effect throughout the guitar playing community. So yeah, that's, that was a good find Chris on the Stratocaster because definitely, um, you know, it was a, a, a forecast of things to come with that instrument. Yeah. The other one that caught my attention was that Roland released the CR 78 drum machine. Um, and I didn't know this, but the Lynn LM one drum computer didn't oh, come out is. until like the, you know, 1980. So yep. technically this came out in 1978. Same, same year yeah. I was born. So first drum machine and I came out at the same time. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. Um, but um, the CR-78 was the first like programmable pattern type thing. Since the, before that, it was just like preset drum stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you couldn't yep. actually program it. So I believe that this, you know, coming out in 78 obviously had a big impact on the 80s, which, of course, we'll get we'll get to in part three. Yep. Um, so all of these things, you know, made up a a a quick and fast understanding of, you know, the technology that was happening in the seventies was moving so quickly. And all of these bands, of course, were taking advantage of them. Um, and of those bands, you know, John and I, like we said, we, there's no way we could pick one album from this decade. I couldn't do it. John couldn't do it for us to condense it down to three, five, or maybe even 10 would be hard, but we did our best. Uh, I think John said you have five records. Yeah, I think I've narrowed it down to five. I mean, God, that's as good as I can get, people. Okay, (laughs) I mean, like, jeez. And honestly, you know, I'm probably going to get, you know, some some negative comments from some of the music snobs because there's just so much music. Like, I can't, I can't hit all the stuff because Chris and I were kind of talking about this in our pre-production. You know, a lot of the stuff is super influential, but we didn't kind of get turned on to it until later in life. Right. Even though it had a huge effect on us, you know, in, as as far as inspiration, like some of the stuff we kind of had to weed out based on when we got turned on to this stuff. Like what was the 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 lineage right. of 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 us getting um, inspired? So, <clears throat> excuse to, me. To John's we, point, we, we, to John's point, yeah, real fast, um, is is just this: like these albums that we're about to talk about, and you know, I I, I narrowed it down to three. I, I know I could have went to five. Um, but these albums, even though they were in our ears, I don't think, and I know, and I don't think, I know that they weren't, um, they weren't influencing us as musicians. You know, John and I came up in like, as musicians came up, probably influenced more by late eighties. And especially for me, right. early and mid nineties music grabbed my attention quickly. So all of that grunge yep. stuff, that was what yep. I considered yep. my, that, that's my generation's rock and roll. Yes, um, for sure. But it's just like anyone, you know, you start in one place and then all of a sudden you decide, I'm going to go backward. Like, obviously, yeah, you, something you kind influenced of reverse engineer this. it, right? So these albums we're about to to talk about um, were, were, were on our radar, but definitely influenced us more as, as more mature musicians. Um, I'd say, John, since we have, since you've got five and I have three, how about you start this off and we'll, we'll kind of, kind of piggyback and hopscotch back yeah. and forth. Um, so you take it away with your, with your first pick okay. of, and, of, and, of your and I'll, 70s. I'll kind of give like a cliff note version of, of these picks. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to get long winded, but yeah. um, these, these records kind of just so happened to all come out in the seventies and probably were some of the most influential stuff to, to this day of my musical wanting to play guitar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, probably number one uh, with with a bullet is definitely the first Van Halen record. Oh yeah, I mean just hearing Eruption, 
hearing that sound and just that it's, it's the sound, right? I mean, nothing like that I had ever, ever heard before. I mean, Jimi Hendrix kind of was pioneer. He had his own kind of path and it mm-hmm. sonically, it moved me the same way. Right. I've heard some people say when they heard eruption, they, they, the only way they knew how to describe it is it sounded like it was alien, like from another planet. Exactly, man. I mean, like just the, you know, the, the playing, the innovation, the, but the main thing, man, and and same thing with Hendrix, man, it's the tone, it's the sound of the guitar. I mean, my God, it's just iconic, man. Mm -hmm. And people are still trying to mimic the that first Van Halen record sound to this day. I mean, it's called the for for those of you who don't know, um, they call it the Brown sound. That's mm. the Van Halen kind of sound. It's the it's the hundred watt Marshall through a Variac uh, machine, which basically lowers the voltage mm-hmm. of the amp, so it sags more. It's, it creates more gain, uh, and uh, through some tape tape echoes um, through a bunch of 412 cabinets. Um, it, that sound, I'll never forget hearing that, you know, cause I've had, all, I've got two older brothers and my eldest brother, you know, uh, he was listening to that stuff and I'll, I'll never forget when he was playing a record, like a actual record. He had a record player in his room. Mm-hmm. I came out of my room and said, what are you listening to? What <laughs> is that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, that one, first Van Halen record. Cool. Number two is definitely, uh, the wall by Pink Floyd. Oh yeah. I mean, that's some of the, speaking of the Stratocaster, like that's some of the most iconic Strat sounds you will ever, ever hear on a record. Like that is just some, you know, could, you know, very well arguably be David Gilmore's kind of you know, Rachmaninoff, Mm -hmm. if you will. I mean, as Mm -hmm. far as just the, I mean, God, the sonics on that, man, guitar-wise is is pretty impressive. Uh, Number three um, is A Band of Gypsies um, by Jimi Hendrix. Same thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. like the sound of his guitar, especially the track Machine Gun. Go listen to it if you haven't heard it. I mean, it is so moving. Just, I couldn't imagine being at the Fillmore hearing that. And I've actually met um, one of the, uh, one of the guys that, um, uh, used to come out and see us play at Del Rio, Chris oh, actually what? got to see Jimi Hendrix a couple times. Wow. Um, and he, he's, when I ask him, he's like, I can't put it into words. He's like, it, it was just like a, he says it was a religious experience hearing him play guitar. I can believe that. So band of gypsies, uh, number four. And this was a tough one because there's a lot of Led Zeppelin records that, <laughs> you know, you could put there. But I, I slightly went with Houses of the Holy mm-hmm. just because it's probably got, you know, two of my all-time favorite Zeppelin songs on there. You know, Oceans and being one of them. And uh, the, um, I can't think of the name of the song, which is terrible, but just to keep this train roll. And then the last one is kind of my curveball. Oh yeah. This is the, this is the one I, I knew. I don't even know anything about that. He, he kind of hinted at this in our last episode, the Curtis Mayfield Superfly soundtrack, which came out in early seventies. I mean, wow. just, you want to talk about like change the game for me because I'm coming from this rock 
classic rock, you know, Led Zeppelin, Van Halen, Pink Floyd, and I hear the Superfly soundtrack. You know, the first song on there, Freddie's Dead. I mean, just that that funk groove with the the killer lyric over there. I mean, like Curtis Mayfield, man, that's a bad mamma jamma. Um, so if you haven't, if you've never heard the Superfly soundtrack by Curtis Mayfield, go and listen to it. Uh, but like I said, Chris, those are just the ones that kind of the cream rises to the top, right? Yeah. I would probably say those five for me um, are are right up there with some of the the the, the heavy hitters um, for me. Yeah. What say you, sir, about the seventies? So I could have narrowed I it down made, to. I've made it narrowed it down to three. And I only did that because I was I was a frouse. I, I get Smart, on dude. I get on with John and I was like, man, I can't just I can't do one God, one. He's like, yeah, he's like he's like, yeah, I got five. And I was like, whew, like I don't feel so yeah. bad having three, yeah. you know. Oh, but God. I could have went on and on. I probably could have made a list of ten and and still felt like I was leaving something out. Um, yeah. So I'll go I'll go chronologically. Um, I'll pick the Led Zeppelin album before yours, which would have been Led Zeppelin Four, came mm-hmm. out in nineteen seventy one, and. As a drummer playing, I worked, you know, John and I, if you guys have listened far back, we, we worked in music stores for a long time. Yep. We always had, like, in the in the old old school Atlanta days, some of you hopefully will know this, there was a, a radio station called Z93, which, oh, yeah. which played nothing but, like, what would be considered, uh, at, at that time, uh, it would have been considered classic rock. So all I heard working in these music stores, especially the first, like, two or three years I was there, was just Z93 on constant repeat. Yep. I was not influenced, and I hate to say this, I am now, very much so, but I was not influenced by John Bonham in my early development as a drummer. Right. I just wasn't. Sure. I mean, my, my yep. eyes were turned towards progressive rock, and I'll get right. there in just a bit. But now, like, the massive contribution he made to drumming is is could never I don't know if there's been many drummers that could could overshadow that or or maybe mm-hmm. even meet it in the way he did mm-hmm. um, but this mm-hmm. album and you think about listening to this to this album this is the track listing black dog rock and roll the battle of evermore stairway mm-hmm. to heaven misty mountain hop going to california when the levee breaks and the only song in there that really doesn't stand out is the sixth track called four sticks mm-hmm. right but out of out of all eight eight of them, seven of those songs are iconic, and I mean, I don't know, just mind blowing album, mind blowing production. The the sound of the drums on that album, um, I don't know. I, I'll that that'll be the one that always. If someone was like, just pick one Led Zeppelin album, that would be the one. Yeah, um, that's a good one, man. That's a good one. And I'm sorry to cut you up, but that, it's the song that the song remains the same. That's the first track on Houses of the Holy. I mean, yeah, okay, yes. I mean, yeah. You want to talk about a John Bonham staple? That that drum intro. Yeah. yeah. You know, and just yeah. I mean, it's like bow down. Yeah. Golly, man, you, it, just amazing. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, Chris, dude, no. Continue. Yeah, I know it'll jump, it'll jump in your head. You got to get it out there. Yeah. So my second of three is uh, John and I again agreeing on on a band. Yep. Uh, Pink Floyd, yes. Dark Side of the Moon. Which honestly, I, you know, we we had to share the rights to our Pink Floyd um, because you know that that one's on there for me too. Yeah. Um, it's like the Wall, Dark Side of the Moon. It's you know, it's like A and B. Yeah. I mean, the the uh, another 
iconic Stratocaster tones on that record. Just amazing. Just amazing. And I remember being influenced by this album, not really by the understanding of the musicians, but just that it sonically was in my ears. Like, I just remember this. And, and of course, the album cover and everything always stood out to me, like the prism thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, upon reading more about it, to know that it got recorded at Abbey Road Studios. Um, and, you know, just, just you know, that we know about the history of that studio. We talked about it yep. some in our, our previous yep. episode. Um, and I feel like they just, they carried they tried to carry that character and they did, they did a great job from the wall, like yeah. carrying over into this, you know, like, yeah. Um, but you could feel and to me, I could feel some of those early, almost eighties influences on this. And I bet you there are some eighties artists that would, that would, you know, look back to this album Absolutely. as a source of, uh, a source of, um, inspiration. So yep. that would be number two. Number three is what I would consider, for me, and probably for a lot of people, the beginning of understanding where the birth of like progressive rock came from, and mm-hmm. it would be Rush's album called Twenty One Twelve. Yep, that's a big one. And it came out in nineteen seventy six. It is a uh, concept album, and it tells the story of like, um, you know, the background of it is it's telling the story of of how music as a whole has been kind of stripped away. You know, like there's yeah. this this whole you know, music is going to be downtrodden. And then there's this, you know, you'd have to listen to it. I really don't want to give it away if you never have. Uh, but there's a theme that runs throughout the entire thing. Um, and I mean, we just have to say Neil Pert. Say it with me. Pert. Pert. It's Pert. not Pert. People, it's not Pert. It's Pert. It's Pert. I heard a guy the other day, his name is uh, Ash Pearson. And mm-hmm. he says, my name is not person. It's, it's Pearson. Pert. Neil Pert. Neil Pert. Right. Um, obviously, Neil had an influence on me when I first started playing. Uh, mm-hmm. Thankfully, because I was listening to Dream Theater, Fate's Warning, Queen's Reich, those kind of bands, my dad goes, hey, there were plenty of bands before this doing this. And if there was anyone influencing and, and my knowledge of Mike Portnoy, all the interviews I could find of him, he cited Rush as his main influence. So yep. I was trying to devour as much Rush as I could get. So if there's any any album on my list that is the culmination of both, not only an, an album that is groundbreaking for music, for rock, for progressive rock, it's also couples with my my love for pr- pr- progressive music and progressive drumming. So mm-hmm. those are my three, John. Those are pretty solid, man. Those are pretty solid. And and uh the two of the synthesizers, the Arp Odyssey and the Mellotron, were featured quite predominantly on uh, 2112. So, well, there you, well, there you go. Um, that, that ties things together conveniently. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, Chris, we, we, there's so much stuff that we can't, we can't, there, I mean, there's all different. I mean, you got Herbie Hancock, a Headhunters album that came out in the 70s, which is like, you know, just started the, some of the fusion stuff, you mm-hmm. know, that came after that, you know, you've got, which a band that holds near and dear to my heart now, which is Toto. Oh yes. Um, you know, but like I said, I didn't get turned on to those guys till later in life. So the one that John, John had to, to remind me of is cause it was always playing in our house was the Marvin Gaye album. What's it called? Oh God, the Marvin, what's going on? What's man? going on? Like that album was like 
it was on in our house before I even like this, this was kind of like the, the beginning stages of me understanding music, you know, like yeah. that, that stuff yep. was like there playing. Yeah. And, and if you yeah. want to, if you want to listen to a, a musician at his pinnacle, mm-hmm. that that's one of the records, not just Marvin vocally, but you got James Jamerson on the bass. Right. I mean, some of the most iconic bass lines. Wow. Are, 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 are handed out on that record. You got <laughs> yeah. the Funk Brothers doing their thing, you know, like it's just a, that's an iconic, you know, Smithsonian level record there too. But like, you know, there can only, we, there's only so much time, Chris. The seventies are just there. It's, it's littered. It, it, and, and we kind of talked about this in pre-production in just a 10 year span, Chris. Yeah. Going from the sixties to the seventies, how much things evolved musically. And it's going to be the same when we get into the 80s, you know, like oh, it's going to oh. be just as difficult. Yeah. Um, I think that for both of us to keep the 80s down to five albums is going to be a challenge. I can't wait to dig into that one. Yeah, that, that one's going to be hard. Yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to narrow it down to three just because I I, I feel pretentious picking five. Like, oh, John's got to have five no, records. No, 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 no. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to narrow it down to three and then we can just give some some honorable mentions to the other ones. I like that. Uh, but 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 I think. The the main thing for me as a guitar player was some of the most iconic molding, you know, moments for me came from records in the 70s as a guitar player. Right. You know, you've got the guitar, you've got the decade of guitar gods. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, Hendrix was kind of on the way out. You had Van Halen. You had, you know, um, the ZZ Top records, which are for me is you know, Los Hombres, like mm-hmm. the, that record, you Obviously know, Jimmy Page, Jimmy Page, mm-hmm. uh, David Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean like guitar gods, right? right. Like right. consider the Pantheon, the Mount Rushmore of guitar players, you know, Alex Lifeson, Ooh, yeah. you know, just freaking monster players, man, yeah. like monster players, you know, that, that were just readily available to be seen at live shows. Yeah. For very little money. Probably very little money. Spend five dollars right. and go see these these incredible bands. Yeah. Wow. What a decade. Crazy. Uh, well, the so that would have been a good time to be alive during the seventies, man. Yeah, man. For sure. Well, I'm uh I'm really excited about this. Uh, you know, this was this was John's uh, brainchild. This this whole like recording techniques because from the beginning of the episode, like John said, and like what we were talking about is we 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 both have gotten into like live audio recording, which leads you down some rabbit holes, which make you go into like previous decades. Like here's how they did it in the sixties. Here's how they did Mm -hmm. it in the seventies. And it's not necessarily how they did it, but why they did it. It was the technology that was available. Mm -hmm. It was the, you know, obviously discovering what could be done versus what should be done. You know, and I feel like now we're in a, what should be done kind of way. Whereas, you know, they were discovering something new every time an album was being put out. Yeah. And I mean, just, just, just the fidelity. If you go and put on, Go and put on even like Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. Go put that on, and then go put on Dark Side of the Moon. The fidelity to that record from from that record is mind-boggling. Right, especially vinyl. Like if you if you were to get like a vinyl version of both of them to compare. Yes, I agree. And like listen listen to it through a good set of lids or or good studio monitor setup. I mm-hmm. mean, it is. I mean, it's powerful. It's super powerful. Yeah. I mean, even like 
you know, all those other records that we mentioned too, man, like the, just the fidelity, the recording process, the sonics was, you know, the, the, the sound of the quote unquote big sounding record. That's when that, that came into fruition. Yeah. Yeah. It was during the seventies. That was kind of made household, if you will. Nice. Well, next episode, we're digging into the 80s, part three. Ooh, my favorite. It's going to be super fun. My favorite. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked on this series we're doing. Our very first one, John. It's our first series of of, uh, of episodes that kind yeah, of tie, tie together a centric thing. Yeah. Common. I'm, 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 I'm excited for the 80s because, you know, obviously I was born in 1980. So when I got, you know, I started playing guitar when I was about nine years old, mm-hmm. um, you know, and having two older brothers you know, the middle brother, he had already actually got a guitar. So I, it was put on my radar when I was real early. But when I turned nine years old, it was like, okay, I am going to dedicate myself to try and play this so I can get some chicks. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that was the goal. Nice. Okay. That was the goal. Hashtag so. honesty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> love that yes so yes. 80s are next you guys yep. please uh please listen back to part one if you haven't heard it yet uh yep. be looking out for part three this is super super fun and uh appreciate all the the, the feedback and the the comments yeah, for you guys sure. are awesome yeah and let us know you know give us your opinions what are you what were some of the stuff in the 70s and 60s that kind of you know made you go wow you know send us some uh, some, uh, feedback on that and maybe we'll give you a, a shout out, uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, opine on your comments. That would be great. I love that. Well, this has been a good one, John. I uh, appreciate everybody listening. And, uh, John, what is it? What is it we say at the end? I believe it is. We are out.